This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Are you ready for hashtag blessed? A new segment on every episode of Viral Jesus where we look at a current topic facing all of us with social media and decide whether it's a hashtag blessed or hashtag mess. So for hashtag blessed today, I am checking in with my best friend and co-blogger with our blog, I'm That Wife, Scarlett Longstreet, because Instagram, I don't know if you guys know this, but it just recently came out with this new subscription service and they haven't offered it to me, but they offered it to Scarlett and you've done it. Scarlett, is it a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess? What do you think? Well, you know, when you get approved or they give you the option, it's exciting. You think, wow, I've been putting all of this effort into my social media, into my Instagram, building this account for, for me, I don't know, six, seven years. Building this community, which I serve relentlessly. (laughs) Pouring my heart and soul for free out of, you know. Which actually, Scarlett, truly you do. How many DMs do you get about a day? I mean, it, it varies and it depends on, you know, of course, the topic or something. But it's not rare for me to have a hundred DMs from a single story, from a slide. So, right. So I want people to understand if somebody doesn't respond to you, which I think you do try to respond, at least click heart on everybody back. There are people getting a hundred DMs per story slide. So it's not that they don't care about you. It's just that it's actually very hard to go through them. And you would think I have a a relatively small following. I have 25,000 followers. So I think that a lot of times we're under the impression that they, of course, are seeing my messages. And there's really no way to gauge how many messages someone is getting based on their size of their following. Because I mean, it can be a lot or it could be a little. But so you're getting 100 messages per story slide. And so you get the subscription service, which people pay and you can do like private lives with them, private posts for them. What did you decide to do? I do brackets. So if your listeners are familiar with March Madness, so generally brackets are used for sport competitions. I do them with pop culture. Uh So the one I have going right now is iconic celebrity couples, past ones. So I put them in a bracket and then my followers, my community gets to vote on who is, who should be the champion. And you've had like thousands of votes on these. People love it. Typically I have about 3000 votes when they were open to the public. 3000 is the average. So walk us through, what is it like? You put yourself out there 
asking people because it takes you hours and hours. I know because I'm your best friend to actually put these brackets together. We see things online and we think, oh, it's a few pictures. She literally selects the best picture. She's researching. She's reading hundreds of messages of submissions. So you set this up. And what is that process like of now trying to get people to pay you for the work that you've been doing for free for the last couple of years? And the internet has made it so we don't want to pay for anything. Mm -hmm. And I get it, right? We can get basically anything. We can get books. We right. can You could get a college education on the internet, essentially. YouTube University. For free. So I knew that it might be a struggle because they've been getting something for free. And then all of a sudden I was shifting to behind a paywall. And I knew it was going to be a struggle, but I did not expect it to be as big of a struggle. I did not expect people to be upset or angry. And I actually got DMs from people who were angry at me uh-huh. for it. And I get it. I totally get it. If you don't want to pay, but just don't pay. Right. You know, it is. Just ignore this post. We we forget <laughs> that behind all of these pages, it is people and it is their time. Depending what content they're giving you, we should all as creators, as content creators, I know it's cheesy, but we all hope to bring value, or right. at least I do. Right. So you should be compensated. Yeah. Or if you don't want to, that's fine too. <laughs> so what would you say? Subscription service. We're not going to talk about your numbers, but you have, I think, a really strong showing. If you are generating now monthly income for something you were doing for free. What right. do you think? Subscription service hashtag bless or is it a hashtag mess? I think it's a hashtag bless, but as long as creatives shift their mindset because we have been so focused on likes as Mm. a measure of our value. So I'm going from, oh my goodness, I'm getting 3,000 people who are actively engaged in hundreds of messages. Scarlett's a stay-at-home mom. So if you hear one of her twins in the background, that's normal. That's par for the course. Stay-at-home hustler. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On my grind. On my bracket grind. So I think, like I was saying, we need to shift our mindset from likes to, wow, I'm actually making money on something that before I was doing for free. So I think it's a blessing as long as we as creative individuals can kind of shift our mindset. Instagram is going to start paying you, creator. Is that a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess? You decide. If you want to respond to our hashtag blessed segment today, if you have your thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear from you. Just type into your search bar, whether on Instagram or Twitter, type in at viral Jesus pod, and then just put a hashtag blast on the end of whatever your comment is, and we will see it. We would love to enter the chat with you. Today's conversation is something I am so glad we are talking about. I really think comparison is eroding our ability to be happy with ourselves and also happy with other people. The problem is comparison is one of the four sources of our self-concept. I actually have a segment I do on the self-concept every semester with my students in interpersonal communication because we decide how well we are doing, not based on how well we are doing, but on how well we feel we measure up against others. 
So the example I give my students is after a lecture, if I was to give a quiz and it's really hard and you get a seven out of 10, you may feel like that's a pretty good score considering how difficult the quiz was. But if you look over at the paper of the person next to you and they have an eight out of 10, do you now feel like you did bad or good? We tend to feel like we did bad. Our score though never changed. All that changed was where we looked. Our perception of our score changes based on how well we feel like we measure up against others. And so insert whatever it is you do or you wish you had, your perception of that thing is influenced by what you feel like everyone else has. This conversation is going to mark our third pod class on healing, and we are looking to heal from our need to compare. I am someone who deeply needed to heal from my need to compare. And this is where you pause the episode and send it to a friend who you know needs this conversation as much as you do. When I wanted to talk about insecurity in comparison, I knew I wanted to talk to Nona Jones. Nona is considered a global thought leader at the intersection of faith and technology. In fact, she is the author, if you've heard of this book, From Social Media to Social Ministry. When I first even started Viral Jesus, so many people sent that book to me, which makes her honestly the perfect Viral Jesus guest. But her latest book is called Killing Comparison, which is exactly what I hope each of us will be able to do at least taking the first step in doing so at the end of this conversation. So Nona, I always start interviews by doing a little social media digging. So I pull up something that the person I'm talking to has written online. And here's one of the quotes I got from you. You had this posted on your Instagram. It says, experiences that expose your insecurity are not the sources of your insecurity. And then here's your caption. It says, every time comparison makes you ask, why, why was I left out? Why was I overlooked? Ask yourself instead, why does it matter? Asking this question is important because experiences that expose your insecurity are not the source of your insecurity. In other words, someone else's material possessions, appearance, or perfect relationship is not the source of your insecurity. The source of your insecurity has a history And you must also explore that history to repair the soil of your heart and prepare it for the healing and freedom. We are talking with you today about how we can heal from social comparison or from comparison in general. Talk to us a little bit about that quote and what made you post it. Where were you at? How did you even come to this (laughs) idea of killing comparison? Oh, oh goodness. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This This is a topic that I care deeply about because I have gone through my own journey to really explore and understand and get free from comparison-born insecurity. And and where that quote came from is a very um, personal experience that Mm. was really what the catalyst for my exploration. And what happened was, you know, early 2020, um, I released two books in 2020. 2020 was going to be an amazing year for me. I had like a full calendar of speaking engagements, not just all around the US, but also like in Singapore and Brazil and Europe and Africa. It was going to be an amazing year. Well, 
of course, you know, the pandemic happened and um, all of the events that I was going to speak at either got canceled or postponed indefinitely. And one morning, um, this was early on when this happened, I was about to log on to a video conference for work and I grabbed my phone. I went on to Instagram just to respond to comments, which is normally what I do before I start my workday. But I usually go straight to the comments, but I caught a glimpse of my newsfeed that morning. And I remember a friend of mine posted this uh, exciting announcement. She was so excited uh, because she would be speaking at this huge women's conference that uh, normally met in person, but it went virtual because of the pandemic. And she was just encouraging people to register for it. And I saw the post and I was just like, oh, that's really cool. And I, I happened to scroll down to a little bit. And I saw another friend who was sharing (laughs) the exciting news that she was speaking at this huge women's conference. And I was just like, oh, okay. And (laughs) two of you, that's nice. (laughs) Yeah. I scrolled down a little more and there was another one and then another and then another. And, And I kept scrolling and it felt like, because I don't follow that many people on social media, it felt like that's all that was in my newsfeed. And so ultimately... I ended up, I knew all of the speakers. I even knew the host. And I I was like, wait a minute, why wasn't I invited? You know, like, mm. why wasn't I invited? Why wasn't I good enough? And it got so bad that I clicked on their profiles and I was like, well, you know, how many followers do they have in comparison to me? Like, mm. uh, I went to their websites and I was like, well, where else are they speaking at in comparison to me? And I started doing all of this, what I call comparison calculus, like to figure out, you know, where do I measure up in comparison to them? And when I was going through all of that, I was asking why her, not me, why am I not good enough? Why don't I measure up? I heard the Holy Spirit ask me the question, Nona, why does it matter? Hmm. And that question stopped my spiral, my thought spiral in its tracks, because I had never considered why does it matter? When when my insecurity would get triggered, I would just spiral into, oh, I'm not good enough. And, you know, why her, not me? And when I thought about it, I was like, well, Lord, it matters because there's this huge event and, and all these people are going to be going to it and I am not speaking at it. And God was like, okay, so you think you only matter as much as the speaking invitations you receive. (laughs) And I was like, no. I was like, well, no, like I know what your word says. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm royal priesthood, peculiar people. Before I was formed in the womb, you knew me, blah, blah, blah. So I started to spout all the scriptures out. And God was like, no, no, see, that's the problem. it's It's not what you know in your head. It's what you believe in your heart. Mm-hmm. You know my scripture, you know my word in your head, but what you believe in your heart has made you insecure. And of course I was like, well, Lord, I'm not insecure. Like, look at all I have and look at all I've done. And God said, you can be the most beautiful, the most accomplished, the wealthiest, the most powerful, the most famous person on earth and still be insecure because insecurity is not about what you have. It's about what your identity is secured to. Mm. And it's secured to an insecure foundation, something that's subject to other people's approval, something that shifts with the currents of people's opinions, you're going to be insecure. And that's what started my journey is, is God showing me me and how somehow, some way, somewhere along the line, I had detached my identity from who he said I was. And I had secured it to the speaking invitations. I secured it to my job title, you know, being married. I secured it to all this other stuff that's subject to evaluation by man. And so that's what started the process. And that's why this subject is so important to me because I know what it's like (laughs) to have all the things and still be insecure. So 
what you're talking about is the the realization, okay, something's broken. Yeah. And then what happened next? Like what did the next few days or weeks look like for you as oh. you processed, oh, I might have an issue yep. here that I didn't <laughs> identify myself with? Oh man. First of all, I I'm so grateful that God loves us so much that He's willing to not only show us ourselves, but he's willing to walk alongside of us as we figure out the depths of our brokenness. And so the the subsequent few days and few weeks after that, um, I spent a lot of time in prayer. And and so one of the themes I talk about in, in the book is Somehow God led me to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 13. I was reading through the book of 1 Samuel at this exact moment, and God had me really focus on 1 Samuel 13, which, you know, when you get into that part of the Bible, you know, we all know about King Saul. We all know about David, how he defeated Goliath. Well, that's in 1 Samuel. But in 13, we are introduced to Saul's son, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And not a lot is said about Jonathan. Um, most of the time we focus on Saul and David, but the Lord had me really study Jonathan during that period because what he helped me to see is that even though Saul's insecurity gets all the headlines and people think that David being approved by the people triggered Saul and Saul was worried about David taking his kingdom, there's something that Saul says in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 31, That's really important because Jonathan defended David to his father. And Saul said, don't you know that as long Mm -hmm. as David lives, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. In other words, he was telling Jonathan, if you, if you continue to defend this guy, he's going to steal your inheritance. And yet Jonathan was not, he was not threatened by David. He loved David. He encouraged David. He supported David. He gave David his weapons so that he Mm. would be even more successful in the battle. And what God helped me to see over my healing process is that the reason why Jonathan wasn't threatened by David is because his identity was firmly secured to God. So much so that when his father was sitting under a pomegranate tree with 600 soldiers, Jonathan went and fought a group of Philistines by himself because he mm-hmm. trusted in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, Lord, if Jonathan is the hero of this story, I want to be like him. <laughs> I want to be yeah. like him because I don't want another person's success to make me feel like a failure. And that's what God did over those weeks is he helped me understand who Jonathan was and he helped me resecure my identity to who God said I was, because that's what made Jonathan secure. How do we, how do we train ourselves? Because it's like, it's one thing to know these things, right? And especially for those of us who grew up in a Christian context, we're so used to hearing it. How Mm -hmm. do we actually start believing that we have our identity first in Christ? What does that process look like? How do I implement this? If I'm right here, I'm listening to you. I'm like, this sounds so good, Nona. But how do I take myself to that place? So I, of course, in the book, I provide like a ton of, you know, detail, but I'll give you the the three point plan, um, okay. just super high level. So um, the first step, in this process of healing from toxic comparison and the insecurity that it creates is we have to recognize when our insecurity is triggered. Mm. I think we spend so much time denying insecurity that we don't invest our energy in defeating it. 
So mm. if somebody said to us, oh man, I think you're insecure, we would deny it all day long. I'm not insecure. <laughs> I love everybody. I'm so glad that she won. You know, like, <laughs> we, we, we deny it, right? But the first step to victory is to acknowledge that there's an enemy. And sometimes yeah. the enemy is on the inside of us. The enemy is inner me, right? And so recognize it when uh, when you see somebody else achieve what you maybe desired in your heart and you start to feel um, angry or you start to feel sad, or maybe you feel afraid. Like maybe you think, oh my gosh, because you know she was the first one to get married, somehow that signals that I'll never get married. And so right. it, it triggers an emotion or it triggers a pattern of thoughts. I spend a lot of time in the book talking about the fact that words really matter. There have been yeah. words spoken over us, especially in our childhood, that has shaped our understanding of who we are and our identity. And so some of us will even describe ourselves um, as, as lazy or as procrastinators because somebody spoke that over us. And we've mm-hmm. received what they've said. It's like, you know, oh my gosh, you're lazy. You're never going to be anything. And so we'll actually say, man, I'm probably not going to get that done. I've been a procrastinator my whole life. Right. Based on what? Based on another person's assessment. So we have to first recognize uh, when our insecurity is triggered. And the second step, which I think is really important, is we have to begin to reframe whatever it is that triggered our insecurity. And when I say reframe, what I mean is, so in politics and in marketing, there's this idea that your frame is the way that you see something. Like it's mm-hmm. it's the lens that you use to determine your position on something. So for example, um, you can frame, I'm going to take like yogurt. You can frame yogurt one of two ways. Let's say that you have a yogurt that is, you know, 20% fat free. Well, that means it's 80% fat. Now, those two facts are the same, regardless of how I say it. But if I say this yogurt is 20% fat-free, it makes you feel better. If I was to say this yogurt is 80% fat, you probably wouldn't eat it, mm-hmm. even though it's still 20% fat-free, right? And so the, what the reframe does is it helps you to see the thing that triggers your insecurity differently. So as an example, uh, going back to the example of a friend who gets married or she gets engaged, and maybe you've been single for years and you thought you would be first. Instead of being angry about it, reframing says, you know what? My singleness gives me the capacity to help her make her wedding the best it could possibly be. Mm. So now you've changed the way that you're looking at it. So it's no longer a threat to you and a threat to your worthiness. Now your singleness becomes an asset because you can actually support this person in a way that you may not have been able to had you been married and had children, all these responsibilities. Um, So reframe is the second step. And the third step is release. So you have to recognize it, you have to reframe it, and then you have to release it. And this is every day. Um, Freedom from insecurity is a daily process because Mm. we're always inundated with another person's achievements or accomplishments that makes us question our worth. And so once we recognize, oh, this thing just triggered me. And once we reframe it as something that we can maybe learn from or support, then we have to actually let it go. And literally say, this is not an indictment on my worth. This is an opportunity for me to activate my potential. And so once you're releasing the toxic comparison, now you've neutralized it and you've turned it into something that actually helps you live out your purpose. What would you say to somebody who says, okay, so at first, right? Like healing is a journey. At Mm -hmm. first, 
I am still deeply threatened by the success of my friend or the marriage of my friend. Would you tell them to fake it until they make it? No. What would you say? No, I think again, it gets back to recognizing like just for like literally admitting that. So that's the thing. The enemy has us believe. And I think this is why so many Christians are in bondage because somehow the enemy has made us believe that if we just suppress what we think and what we feel, that somehow that's the key to healing and victory. That's not true. Think about it this way. Mold grows in the dark, right? Mold grows in the dark, but when you expose it to light, it can't thrive. It begins to die. And so I do think that we have to be honest about what's on the inside of us. What am I thinking and how am I feeling? And be honest with that enough to go to God and say, Lord, I don't want to think this way. I don't want to feel this way. Father, help me change the way that I see myself so that I can change the way that I see that person. A lot of times we project the way that we feel about ourselves onto other people. I've had people tell me, oh, you just think you're all that. When in fact, if you really knew me, Mm. I don't. Like Mm -hmm. if you really knew me, I know that everything I have and everything I am is a gift from God's hand. I can't take credit for any of this because this is all God. So no, I don't think I'm all that. But someone who thinks lowly of themselves will project that onto me Mm. because that's how they feel about themselves. And so it's important for us to take it to God and ask him to help me reclaim the ground of my heart that has been taken over by this lie that somehow this other person's success is my failure. This is going to be a very strange question. So I want everyone to know that I was told I can ask this question from your PR team. (laughs) Tell us the Brazilian butt lift story. I saw that. I I said, we have to know. We have to know on the pod. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that. I knew that's where we were going next. So, okay. So first, a little bit of backstory, a little bit of backstory. Um, so uh, I am a, a black woman and uh-huh. black women, you know, are known for our curves. We're known mm-hmm. for having a very curvy, voluptuous body. Well, um, I was given my father's chest and my mom's butt, um, just flat <laughs> all the way around, like no curves. But for, for many years of my life, I was actually morbidly obese. And so what okay. happened was the only curves I had on my body was like my belly. <laughs> so, mm. And I, I would often joke, I would be like, man, if I could just like, like, just like push my stomach into my butt, then I would be a bad mamma jamma. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So anyway, uh, you know, fast forward to my thirties, I was still very, very overweight, but, um, through, you know, eating right and exercising, I, I lost a hundred pounds, wow. um, worked really, really hard. I was trying my best to grow my butt doing the squats, the Bulgarian split squats, the donkey kicks, the bridges, all that stuff for like a decade and um, got really toned legs and back and arms and stomach and girl, my butt didn't grow one centimeter. So, <laughs> so I decided, I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy a booty. Like I was like, I'm going to buy okay. a booty. Because I've done all the work. (laughs) I deserve this. (laughs) I'm going to buy me a booty. And so I went, I prayed about it. You know, I went to the Lord. I was like, Lord, listen, I was like, Lord, protect me during this surgery because I want to buy me a booty. Now I heard the Lord say, I heard the Lord say so clearly. He said, if I wanted you to have a booty, I would have given you a booty. I didn't give you a booty to keep you humble. 
Now, I was just like, Lord, okay, I'm still going to get a booty. I'll just be humble with a booty. That was my response. I'm going to be humble with a booty. So I get on the plane. I fly to LA to have the surgery. And I remember on the plane, the Holy Spirit said it again. If I wanted you to have a booty, I would have given you a booty. I did not give you a booty to keep you humble. I should have parachuted out of the plane right then and saved the rest of my money. But I went through with it. And when I finished... I mean, I was like, yes. I looked in the mirror. I was like, come through, booty. But, <laughs> but the doctor told me, he told me, he said, listen, Nona, because it's fat transfer. That's what it is. And he was like, um, the thing about it is it's fat transfer. And so you can't work out as intensely as you normally do, because if you do, it will burn the fat. Now, I was like, look, I've worked too hard to lose this weight. I'm not going to suddenly stop working out, right, just because I have this booty. Like within five or six months, I had burned my booty off. Booty was gone. Wow. Like just holding on. And, and through that process, first of all, God is so funny. God was like, well, I told you. That's what I, <laughs> I told you. But I think what I learned through that process was I realized that my identity had gotten secured to the insecure foundation of physical appearance to the mm. point where... I was really, I was insecure, even though I had lost all this weight and, you know, I have a relatively athletic build. Um, I still saw myself as less than because I didn't have the the so-called, you know, shape of the ideal black woman. And so, uh, you know, my booty burned away and I had to realize, oh, wow. Okay. So I have to reclaim this ground too. And now I'm in a situation where I thank God because yeah, it was a costly experience, but it helped me to see that many of us, especially women, we have yes. will secure our identity to that insecure foundation of physical appearance. And if we don't, you know, weigh a certain uh, amount, if we don't wear a certain dress size, if our hair doesn't look a certain way, if if our lips don't look a certain way, we will feel like we don't measure up. And the question mm-hmm. becomes, measure up to what? What are we trying to measure up to? And it's usually another person's standard. Of beauty, so yeah, that that was my little experience. Uh, I had a booty for about six months, and it, it, so it's gone. I hope you kept the pictures. I hope you kept the pictures so I, you could remember the dates. <laughs> and I reflect on them with fondness. Talk to us about <laughs> approval filters. What are approval filters? Yeah, approval filters are they're the characteristics, the things that we try to attain so that other people will approve of us. So things like our academic credentials, you know, Mm. um, some of us, we get like a million degrees because we feel like, man, if I could just get this next degree, then people will finally feel like I'm smart, like I'm a scholar, Mm -hmm. like I'm an intellectual. Um, We can also have the approval filter of our relational status. Some of us, we end up with men and women that really aren't good for us simply because we know that that's necessary for people to think that we're desirable. Um, There Mm. are people who have even political ideologies that they don't even fully agree with, but because their family has that ideology and they want to be approved of by their family, they'll subscribe to it. And so that's really what it is. It's, It's just, it's something that we kind of wear on ourselves, uh, not necessarily physically, but it's something we wear on ourselves in an attempt to get people to approve of us. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. 
Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. I have to ask you this question and I want everyone immediately to buy Nona's book, Killing Comparison. You can pause this episode, open up <laughs> any, whatever your favorite book story is and buy it. It's releasing September 27th, Killing Comparison by Nona Jones. But I have to ask you also about your book, um, Social Media to Social Ministry. Yeah. Viral <laughs> Jesus, we love to hear it. Talk to us about that <laughs> book as well. Because I, I really think a lot of our people are content creators. They might stick that one in the cart also. What is, what's the premise of that book? Oh, wow. Well, thank you for bringing that up. Um, so the premise of social media to social ministry is just trying to help people understand that social media is more than just a space where you can share content. Yes. Social media is really a platform where you can actually make disciples for yes. Jesus Christ. And I would venture to say that social technology is like the new reformation of the church because mm -hmm. for many years, for I would venture to say for a couple millennia, um, for whatever reason, we thought that the church was a place that you go but in fact, the church is the body of Christ. Yes. It's the people uh, who have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, as a content creator, as someone who's using your social media in order to connect with people, you have to think of them not just as followers of you. Think of them as followers of Christ. And how can you disciple them? How can you encourage them? How can you point them to the cross? That's the way that I like to approach my social media as I think of it as social ministry. So the content that I share is really about how do I help people get closer to Jesus, mature in their faith. I may never meet them, you know, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, but at least the people who follow me can see Jesus through me. Um, there was mm -hmm. something that the Lord spoke to me many years ago, and this is what actually kicked off writing this book, is I was in a season where I was like, man, I want to build my following. I think I had only like, I don't know, like a thousand followers or something. And I was just like, I want to build my following. And God convicted me. He was like, it doesn't matter how many followers you have if they're not following me through you. Mm. And I was like, oh, <laughs> is it okay? Mm. And so that's really what the premise is, is it's all about being cognizant of the fact that your presence on social media is a ministry opportunity, yes. not to build your kingdom, but to build God's kingdom. And what would you say to the listener right now who says, oh, but I'm not an influencer. My <laughs> voice online doesn't matter. What would you say to that person right now who thinks they can just post whatever oh, and it's, there's no consequence to it? 
Listen, so I would say two things. Number one, even if you have zero followers, you are still an ambassador of Christ. Yes. Period. And so the way that you show up on social media has to be a direct reflection of who Jesus is. Again, Mm. I don't care if you have zero followers, like you represent Jesus and you're going to be held accountable. I think we have a very temporal mindset. If we were to have an eternity mindset, many of the things that we do and we post and we say and we engage with, we wouldn't because we would realize that there's going to come a day when we're going to actually stand before the judgment seat of Christ right. and he's going to be like, tell me about this post uh, over here. What was <laughs> the goal? Uh, but I think that's one thing. The second thing is understand that being an influencer is really not a function of how many followers you have. Right. Um, it's a function of being a leader. And if you yes. really understand what leadership is, a leader is simply a person who has a follower. That's it. Not following a follower. So if there's Mm. one person following you, you are a leader and you have to steward that with integrity, um, steward it with intentionality and just know that you're going to be held accountable. There are some things that I've posted that I've literally taken down because I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, either that wasn't right, either it didn't honor God, uh, or maybe it caused confusion. Uh, there, there was a post, I'm a very like, um, I, I take humor in everything. So I okay. had a situation where I was in Nashville and I was meeting a friend for dinner and we were walking into the restaurant and there was a gentleman who was standing outside and I mean, he was dressed okay, but it seemed like he was, he was holding up. I think he had a cardboard sign and he was like, Hey, you know, um, I need money or something like that, but I didn't have any cash on me. And so I was like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I don't have any cash. And he was like, Oh, well I take Venmo. And I was like, Venmo. And, and in my mind, I was like, I can't imagine a homeless person actually having like a cell phone plan. And so I posted about it and somebody like they, they direct messaged me, they DM'd me. They were like, you know, I don't, that that person, they said, I work with homeless people and, you know, we have to be very careful and very sensitive to the fact that some homeless people, they have to get money however they can. And so I took the post down because I was like, yeah, like, I don't want anybody to think that I'm coming down on homeless people. Right. And so we have to be open to that and know that you have to steward your platform because we're accountable. So walk me through, that's a really interesting concept, even that right there, because there's humility that you have to have in order to be perceptive enough to receive a criticism and say, ah, maybe I got that wrong. What do you think about this? Like there's so little room that we leave people anymore for error. You know, so many people are just waiting for you to post the wrong thing. So now we can get you. What would you say to that person right now who feel beat up a little bit from online and the trolling cancel culture. You have to remember, it's hard to remember this, but you have to remember you have your primary audience is the the heavenly father. Like that's your primary audience. Mm. And so typically like, so I'm a worship leader also. And I, I remind our worship team when we go up there to lead worship, I'm always like, listen, I don't care how many people come here today. We have an audience of one. And so Mm. I'm always thinking like, okay, how can I make sure that this honors God? How can I make sure that my intentions are right? Because God searches the heart, (laughs) Um, not just, we can post something that's super honoring of God and our intentions can be totally off. I've been convicted of that too. That's another story. But I think, you know, cancel culture is such that it's very much so like the so-called woman caught in adultery. It's like, oh, look, they did something. Jesus come stone the person. And Jesus is like, Okay, right. well, I'll tell you what, whichever one of you is without sin, cast the first stone. I'll wait. 
Right. <laughs> and uh, right. I think that as a creator and frankly, as someone who is called to social ministry, we just have to know that comes with the territory. It just does. And okay. so use the tools at your disposal to like delete people, block people. Uh, you don't have to allow yourself to be beat up. There are some times where I will restrict people so they can post, but they don't like their their comments are not visible. I see it. Else <laughs> like I love those tools. And I use right. them because I'm just like, there are some people who just don't right. mean you any good. Um, and you don't need to allow them to have space uh, on your platform. Something you talk about in your book is learning how to control social media rather than have social media control you. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I think a lot of times social media gets blamed for causing insecurity. Um, but if we're honest, Many of us, uh, we had insecurity that predated Facebook, like it predated Instagram. Mm. Um, And so we really bring it, we bring our insecurity to those platforms. And so we have to recognize that they are a tool. Social technology is a tool. It's just like a hammer. It's just like a saw. You know, you you can use it for good Mm -hmm, purposes, mm -hmm, right? You can mm -hmm. use a saw to cut wood to build a house. You can also use a saw to cut someone's arm off in anger. Like, so it's a tool. And the way that you make sure that you don't uh, end up controlled by it is you have to limit it. So I have like a very limited amount of time that I spend on social media. Um, Even though I work in that space, I just don't allow it to consume my life. And so I give myself a certain amount of time to go on there, respond to comments, respond to messages, and then I walk away. And so I'm not constantly checking on people. I follow very few people compared to the number of people that follow me. And some people might see that and think, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, she's trying to be super selective. No, I just believe in guarding your eyes so that you guard your heart. Like, I don't need to see Mm -hmm. what everybody's doing. I don't need to see what everybody's up to because all that's going to do is distract me. And so you do have to put up those boundaries uh, to make sure that it doesn't end up taking over your life. What would you say to somebody right now who really desperately wants to be able to clap for other people and to be excited for them. And they've just feel like, but I've never seen God do that for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Somebody who says, I keep seeing God answer all these other prayers. And, and I was happy for them at first, but at some <laughs> point it's just gotten really hard and they want to heal mm-hmm. from comparison. What do you say to that person who's in the thick of just feeling like God keeps answering everybody else's prayers? Oh man. So two things. Um, and, and I'm okay. speaking out of personal experience because I've been there and I actually talk about it quite a bit in the book. Um, one thing okay, good. goes back to what I just said, we have to learn to guard our eyes in order to guard our heart. So we can't, there are certain people who we know, like either A, they're just super favored. They're super blessed. Like everything is amazing (laughs) in their life. The super blessed. Super blessed. It's like, you probably shouldn't be following them all the time because all it's doing is it's triggering your insecurity. So that's that's the first thing. And then I do think the second thing is we have to train our hearts to reframe their success so that we don't see it as a threat. Um, We see it as an opportunity to learn. Like if they're just like killing it and they're crushing it, it's like, man, let me find a way to set up some time to talk to them and see what I can learn from them about what they're doing. So now instead of a competition, it's really more about me learning from their success. I will add this third one in as a bonus. I think this is where we learn to exercise our humility muscles. And humility gets a bad rap in our society. Like we live in a society where it's like, you know, tell everybody what you're doing, you know, announce your news, like all of that. Yeah, yeah, Humility is not 
thinking lowly of yourself. It's not um, degrading yourself. What humility actually is, is it's just fully occupying the lane that God has given to you. There are some things that other people may excel at that just aren't your lane. And and sometimes we we get disappointed, not because we're not excelling at what God created us to do, but because we're not excelling at what God created somebody else to do that we weren't created to do. And we right. want to do their thing. And it's like, but that's their right. lane. For me, what's right. helped is realizing, you know what? That's their lane. That's not my lane. I want to focus on my mm-hmm. lane and fully occupying this lane that I'm in. And when you have that mindset, when other people excel in their lane, you don't feel threatened because it's not your lane. And here's the thing God showed me. There's all, there's only one person in your lane. This isn't a relay. This is not a relay. You are the only one in your lane. There's no one in front of you. There's no one behind you. And so what that means is how well you excel in your lane is totally up to you. That's it. You're not waiting on anyone mm. to give you a baton and nobody's waiting on you to give <laughs> give them a baton. So focus on your lane um, and, and really ask God for clarity. Like, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you created me to do? And how can I make sure that I'm doing that? I think one of the, the telltale signs that you are not doing what God created you to do is when you feel overwhelmed and exhausted and discouraged and defeated because God gives us mm. the grace for what he's called us to. He doesn't grace us for what somebody else is called to, but he always gives us grace for what he calls us to. And sometimes we extend ourselves beyond what he's called us to. And that's when we start to feel like, oh, I'm not good enough. I didn't measure up because we're focused on what somebody else is doing. I love so much what you said about talking to the person and asking to learn Mm -hmm. from them rather than just festering over what feels like what is an insecurity, right? That they bring out in you. Because once we humanize each other, it makes it so much better when I realize, oh, this is a real person, Yeah. right? They're not a perfect person. They're a real person. They have their own struggles. I cannot tell you how many successful people I have talked to who themselves are deeply insecure. Because the, the, the thing many people may not know is that we assume that if I just get to a certain level, if I just get a certain thing, then I'll finally be secure. But the more success you attain, the more vulnerable you are to insecurity because you just realize there's more that you haven't achieved. Like imagine you're a Grammy award-winning artist, right? Well, the Grammys happen every year. So, So you get your Grammy and it's like, yay. But the next year, maybe you don't get a Grammy. In the following year, you don't get a Grammy and you put out music and you don't get a Grammy. And so, yeah, you may have gotten a Grammy 10 years ago, but that pales in comparison to the fact that you haven't gotten one since. So we have to remember this is all relative. And that's why I really want us to get free from toxic comparison because it's keeping us from our purpose. I had a conversation with Devon Franklin last season who I love. Mm -hmm. I love Devon. There was this moment on the call where I said... So how does it feel to have made it? And he goes, made it? I haven't, I haven't made it. And I was like, what? I mean, I long after we hung up, I was like, Devon Franklin doesn't feel like he's made it. But then his most influential person on his life is Oprah. So I guess if I'm looking at Oprah all the there time and what she's doing, I'm going to feel like I haven't made it. So you know what? No matter where you're at in your journey, in your success story, 
it is time to kill comparison. And you can do that releasing September 27. Pre-order it right now. Nona, my tagline for this season of Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. Social media gets a bad rap right now, but we want our listeners to take ownership of how they're communicating their faith, both online and off. How do you choose to be a redemptive voice in the online space? I start with intentionality. You know, I truly Mm. believe, I thank God for every single person who he has led to follow me online. And I truly believe it's God that did that. And so my prayer is always, Lord, you know, give me the wisdom to steward your children so that I bring you glory. And I'm very aware, like everything that I share, everything I post, everything I do, I want to make sure that it points people to the cross. And I also want to make sure that it leaves people inspired. I don't ever want anyone to you know, see something I post and they walk away doubting themselves or they walk away feeling discouraged or like they don't measure mm. up. That's never my goal. And so I do. I ask God, Lord, lead me in what we share. Um, I have a team that helps me to, to manage all my different platforms. I'm like, Lord, help me make sure that this glorifies you because that's ultimately what it's all about anyway. Nona, thanks so much for joining us. So what can we learn in our third pod class on healing from Nona Jones? Number one, killing comparison is first and foremost about rejecting the lie that you aren't good enough as you are. God made you you for a reason. We don't need another Heather or another Nona. We need you to fully walk in what God has called you to be. Friend Justin Koo says, the only thing God will ever ask you to give up is everything you were never meant to be. Number two, instead of asking, why not me? Ask, why does it matter? The answer, Nona says, to that question is the answer to our insecurity that we often aren't naming. Number three, being insecure is about securing ourselves to the wrong foundations. We can't secure ourselves to money or followers or downloads or books or business. The foundation for every Christian is the word of Jesus Christ. And who does God say you are? Do we need to remind ourselves? First Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? We get to have access, friend to the very Spirit of God. That's our foundation. What God has for them is for them. But what God has for you is for you.
Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, we sit down with the person I send all of my don't worry darling memes to, Sharon Hottie Miller, and she will help us heal from our need to be in control of everything. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com CT.